You're listening to the Welcome to Babylon podcast, a discussion about living and loving like Jesus in the midst of a post-Christian culture. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode four of the Welcome to Babylon podcast. I'm your host, Keith Caps, here with Phil Kramer, lead pastor of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. How's it going, Phil? Hey, good morning, Keith. I hope you're having a great morning. Yes, it's great, man. We've got some great fall weather, crisp, cool air. I love this time of year. Um, great football, playoff baseball is coming. Hey, speaking of football, tough loss for the Razorbacks this weekend um, and high hopes that they would pull the upset over Alabama just didn't happen. I got to tell you, I was a Razorback fan this weekend and I was ready to see Alabama go down. It, it didn't happen. But here's a funny story that took place while we were out doing our one day ministry visits. You know, I was on a door to door evangelism team. And so we're walking through this neighborhood, myself and two brothers from uh, from a church in Benton. Uh, we're doing these visits. So I walk up to this house. This dude who's probably about 40 years old is sitting on his porch. Uh, and I, I thought, well, I got to come up with some way to kind of break the ice and have a conversation with this guy. So, so I just came up and I said, hey, man, you're going to be watching the Razorbacks at 2.30? He said, you better believe it. I'm going to be watching the Razorbacks, man. I'm going to be glued to my television set. So, of course, I'm thinking, great. Here's an Arkansas fan. I can say something about Alabama, and we can have that point of connectivity. So I said, well, let me tell you something. I'm a Razorbacks fan as well today, and I'll tell you how much I hate Alabama. So then at that point in time, the dude lowers his head a little bit, points to his baseball cap, and I see he's wearing an Alabama cap. Oh. <laughs> so I said, excuse me, I meant to say roll tide, baby. <laughs> so, But we had a good conversation, and uh, it turns out that, I mean, th- this was a family that, that really is in desperate need of the ministries that we offer at Crossgate, especially some of the very specific ministries on Wednesday nights. I look forward to following up with them uh, later this week, and hopefully the guy will be in a very good mood. Yeah, wow, man. Hey, but speaking of one day, um, what a great weekend. On Saturday, thousands of uh, Arkansas Baptists um, descending on Hot Springs, and uh, specifically, I think we had 14 or so teams from Crossgate that went out to do ministry all over um, the city. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about what went on this past Saturday? Man, what a great opportunity for us to leave our campus and go out into the community as, uh, as witnesses and, and, and the hands of Jesus, not just the, the mouthpiece, but the hands of Jesus. Uh, we had uh, four yard work teams. You were on one of those teams, and I understand y'all chopped back the Amazon jungle in a couple of yards anyway. Uh, we had uh, you know, a multi-site at Cutter School campus with a no-sale yard sale and a food distribution site and also a site for children. We had prayer walk teams. We had uh, three door-to-door evangelism teams, one of which I was leading. And again, it, it was a tremendous opportunity for us to be out in the community and to be supported by and partner with other uh, followers of Jesus across the state who, who came in to uh, partner with us. So it's a win for everybody. And uh, our, I, I don't have all the numbers just yet, but I do know that uh, a lady that uh, we visited prayed to receive Christ. And we also connected with a couple of other families, again, where we're going to follow with them uh, regarding some specific ministry at Crossgate. Yeah, it was such an incredible day, and it, it was really cool to see God working in so many different aspects of gospel-centered ministry in and around Hot Springs. Man, at the end of the day, I was exhausted, but yeah, if I'm going to be poured out, I want to be poured out for the gospel, and it was such a rewarding feeling to know that um, that I invested that day along with so many others 
um, in being the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Like you and, you know, we, we didn't really plan it this way per se in terms of one day being on this past weekend and also uh, just with our uh, Welcome to Babylon uh, series that we're doing. But it, it actually worked out really well in terms of one of the key emphases in that message. Absolutely. And speaking of the message, um, great message yesterday called Maximum Living in Babylon. So we want to jump into that with some follow-up questions, talking about how do we not just survive in Babylon, but how do we thrive as Christians in Babylon? So you mentioned yesterday that a lot of Christians may be living in a state of denial when it comes to the cultural realities in America today, right? So you referenced Jeremiah 29.5, where God told his children to, hey, build houses, um, implying that they should just embrace the culture around them because they're going to be there for a while and uh, and maybe not try to run away from it. Um, so it raises the question, you know, by embracing the culture, Phil, are, are we supposed to just throw up our hands and say, oh, well, it is what it is. There's nothing that I can do about it, so might as well just enjoy life. Well, great question, Keith, and of course the answer is not at all. As I mentioned yesterday, uh, to build houses was, first of all, a temporal command, Uh, just telling the people, look, you're not going to be here in terms of days and weeks and months. You're going to be here in terms of years. Uh, The stay is not going to be short, and the present reality is going to go on for a while. Uh, So you might as well embrace it. And again, to to quote uh, Morgan Freeman, the great American philosopher, get busy living or get busy dying. But again, as we mentioned yesterday, to embrace the present situation does not mean to, to support or affirm or approve so much of what we see in our, in our nation taking place. But here's the important thing. Okay, I do believe a lot of people are in a state of denial, and I certainly wrestle with that as well. But the challenge is this. Denial doesn't want to live in the present. Denial always wants to live in the past or the future. So if someone's in a state of denial, they may say, if we could just go back, if I could turn back time, right? <laughs> you know, if, if, if we could just turn the hands of time back to a happier time, whether it's the 1950s or it's the whatever, you know, the 1980s, any time that wasn't as bad as we think things are right now. Or people in a state of denial tend to want to live in the future. Well, we're just going to kind of hold what we got and, again, kind of circle the wagons and sooner or later, better days will come. Well, they may or they may not. And so because we need to embrace the present, what does that mean in terms of being God's people thriving and not just surviving? Yeah, that's really good. And I appreciate that solo. I, di- I didn't realize we were going to have an appearance of the Pastor Phil Harmonic um, this morning. but Just wait, man. <laughs> I'm just getting warmed up, baby. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, but it's a really good point um, because... You know, we want to embrace the realities of the culture without affirming, you know, the sin or the sinful choices. Um, so thank you for clarifying that. But you also talked about the need to cultivate gardens and not restaurants. A very interesting point. But can you explain a little more about what that means? Or Are you saying that I can't go to Cracker Barrel now because they serve alcohol? Is that what you're saying? Well, I prefer a sweet tea over mimosa myself, brother. But, uh, you know, I yes, obviously we have to come up with some little metaphors for explanation's sake uh, and, and just the specific points of the message. But again, I mean, we're, we're doing expository teaching. So as we go verse by verse through these passages, uh, we need to deal with what God says. And so to plant gardens and to eat their produce clearly means you've got to take ownership and responsibility for your own 
mealtime, not physically always necessarily, but of course spiritually is, is, the, is the main point. And of course, we talked about how God wants us to be self-feeders, uh, to plant that garden. And of course, we, we could have unpacked the, the metaphor of planting a garden much more in terms of how you have to till the soil, you have to plant, you have to water, you have to have sunshine and, and all of that, and then repeat and then repeat and then repeat over and over again, and then harvest and eat your, eat your crop. So, you know, it, it, it is not an easy thing to, to feed yourself and, quote unquote, to live off the land spiritually in a sense. But that's exactly what God wants us to do. And hopefully, you know, for a lot of our people, the idea of the Bible engagement plan that you put together, which I love, or even the, the hear journal method, that's becoming more and more pervasive in our in our church. Uh, my 14-year-old son, for example, is in a uh, discipleship group with Pastor Josh and some other uh, young teenage boys, and they're learning the hear journal method. I mean, 14 years old, he, he can tell you exactly what H-E-A-R stands for. And as more and more of our people become aware of what discipleship groups are and experience that, uh, or in other, in other contexts, hearing, hearing more about the... Um, uh, the here method, then you know that 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 method of self feeding is going to become more of a reality for our people. Yeah, that's really good, and uh, I love that concept. In fact, you know, our family um, has chosen to homeschool this year, and for our Bible time the other day, I sat down with our eight year old, and we actually use the uh, use the foundations for for kids study, and I went through the here method with him um, and had him read just a few verses of a passage. Um, and then we talked about highlighting, explaining, applying, and responding to that. I um, mean, even at eight years old, that was really good because I want him to learn, like you said, to feed himself, um, to get into that habit, that, that routine of going to the Word um, himself rather than just hearing Bible stories. Yeah, man, because so oftentimes we, we kind of try to get people pumped up with generalities. Read your Bible, read your Bible. All right, everybody, read your Bible on three. Break, you know, and then we don't really equip people with the with the specific and practical things for how to do that and how to reflect. So yeah, I I, I love it, and and I think it's becoming more and more pervasive in our in our church. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so I want to touch on another point that you made yesterday uh, when you said uh, we want to look at babies, not birth control. Now I have to be honest, when you said this, I chuckled a little bit. You know, it, I thought it was a clever, um, clever point and a clever metaphor. But I was thinking it's surely a metaphor. But as you explained, it's kind of both literal and figurative, right? As we go through the text. Yeah, absolutely, Keith. So again, you know, as, as we as we go verse by verse through the passages of the Bible, you can't really dodge or duck what God says. You just have to take it for what it is, black print on white paper, and say, okay, this is what the Bible says. And so. You know, certainly there, there's a multi-layered application there. Uh, as we mentioned yesterday, God's specific word to his people in Babylon was, you know, you know, your birth rate is going to decide whether you have a future or not. I mean, as, as, a, as a country, as a nation, as, as the people of God. Uh, and so, you know, you need to multiply, not decrease, which again was simply a reminder of what God told his people all the way back in Genesis, you know, be fruitful and multiply. I did ask the question, okay, is there some type of uh, application regarding a physical birth rate today? And I truly believe there is. And I laid out some statistics about the birth rate in our nation and also in the Western world. Actually, I just saw something this morning that said that for the first time, uh, you know, just, and this is kind of a broader demographic uh, data point, but 50% of all women age 30 are childless. Now that's pretty significant. And, and I think some of the data shows and will continue to show over the years that birth rates matter. 
right? I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the economy, uh, the, the healthcare industry, I was speaking yesterday afternoon with one of our members who, is, uh, who works in a, uh, in a nursing facility. And, you know, as, as the numbers increase and, and we eventually reach the point where we have more people age 65 and over than 18 and under, that's going to impact, you know, Social Security, right? Now, we, we could also, of course, point out that, I mean, if, if you abort millions and millions and millions of your citizens before they even have a chance to get born, then that's going to impact your tax base. You know, those are taxpayers. And not that it's all about paying taxes, but, I mean, that's, that, that's something to think about, right? So the physical birth rate absolutely matters, and, um, and that's something to, to, uh, to consider. Of course, my main emphasis was on the spiritual birth rate, and I also threw out some, some statistics and data points talking about uh, the, the, the I, I would say, the dismal state of, of evangelism and, and the spiritual birth rate in the church today. And where we will eventually hit a point where, I mean, we if, if, if we are not already in the minority, meaning tru- truly saved, born-again people, we will find ourselves in a very small slice of the, of the, the population in a not-too-distant future if, if we continue to practice spiritual birth control, uh, so to speak. Now, I know what some people are thinking. All right, some people heard me talk about babies not birth control, and they immediately thought, is Pastor Phil saying that birth control is wrong? You know, is birth control wrong? Well, believe it or not, that was a massively, uh, you know, controversial topic in the last century. I'm not talking just among Catholic people. I'm talking about all Christians was like down on birth control, right? So obviously there's a, there's, there's a lot to say about that. Uh, I, I, would, I would tell you in a simple answer, no, I'm not saying birth control is wrong, but there's also some things we need to think and pray about and ask what God thinks about those things, which, by the way, means that would be an excellent question for someone to ask on November 13th. Sunday, November 13th, when we wrap this up with another one of our question and answer panels, right? What does the Bible say about birth control? I think that'd be an excellent question What in Babylon, right? Let, let's, let's talk about it. So anyway, I'll, I don't want to steal my, son, my thunder from November 13th, but a, clearly a, a good question to ask. Yeah, that's really good. And, you know, we, we talked about last week the assault on the family. And, you know, as Deuteronomy talks about, being intentional in discipling our families, discipling our kids, creating that Christian heritage. Um, kind of hard to do that if we don't have families or we have less and less families. Um, so, yeah, there's certainly a connection there. And so I appreciate that, Phil. Well, the last point you made was referring to buying stock, not throwing bombs. And I love that because it's an important reminder that, you know, we got to be careful not just to sit back and curse the darkness but actually start turning on some lights, like you mentioned. And I felt like we just scratched the surface of that this past weekend with the one-day missions event that, that we've already talked about. Um, but that's just one day a year. So how do, how do we start turning on some lights um, in our everyday lives in the midst of the darkness of our culture? Yeah, so I think the first thing I would say, just in terms of creating some rhythms in our lives about how we... Uh, turn on the light and not just throw bombs at, at the darkness and curse the darkness. Uh, I, I always like to, to find out what kind of voices people are hearing on a regular basis. Uh, for example, if I was to talk to somebody who sits around and listens to Fox News and watches Fox News all day long, they're probably going to be kind of pessimistic, if not downright grumpy, right? I mean, because you're constantly hearing about all the negative stuff, negative stuff. I mean, Fox News, they're a business like everybody else. They're throwing red meat to the base and trying to get people worked up over the negative stories. And so if, if all you're hearing is the negative stuff, 
then of course, I mean, you're, you're going to be focused more on throwing bombs at the darkness and cursing the darkness because that's all you're hearing about is the darkness. Uh, I think of Philippians 4, 8, it says, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So I think it's important. Yes, we need to have an awareness of some of the darkness in our world, but man, we've, we've got to be filling ourselves with the light uh, before we can shine the light in, in some, other, some other corner. Uh, honestly, I think one of the easiest things we can do is to share our own story our own testimony of what of what God has done for us, the things we have seen and heard. You know, I mean, if we're constantly talking to people about our opinion about all the social, moral, and political problems, again, I mean, that's cursing the darkness. Let's, let's talk about what God has done to us. It's like what we said yesterday. At the end of the day, we should be known for our theological, you know, perspective, not our moral, social, and, and political perspective. And that theological perspective is grounded in the gospel. So I love to share my personal testimony of how I was saved. I mean, I just, I cannot even begin to count up the number of times I've shared my testimony over the years, but I just, I love telling the story of how God came into my life through Jesus. So that's certainly one very important thing. And another important thing that we mentioned is hospitality. I mean, again, you know, low-key hospitality where you're simply reaching out and inviting people to watch a football game or eat some hamburgers or whatever. I mean, it doesn't have to be heavy and religious and all the rest up front. I mean, you're just spending time with people, which incidentally, I might point out, this is something my wife reminded me yesterday, only after the fact, uh, <laughs> is that uh, our ladies are having a conference on, on our campus uh, November 11th and 12th uh, called the Love Well Conference. And, and really, the, the whole theme is hospitality. How, how do you show hospitality to people and have an impact for Jesus through hospitality? So Lots of opportunities out there, but I think we just need to kind of turn the dial away from all the bad news and all the gloom and doom, the doom scrolling, as they call it, and we need to get back into what's right and true and bright. Yeah, that's really good, and I love, um, I love that. I love that concept of getting out, um, you know, outside of the four walls of the church or our homes, but then also opening up our homes, like you said, um, to you know, hopefully build bridges that will lead to gospel conversations, but. You know, when we talk about that, we're talking about building bridges with people who may not share our beliefs um, or even our values or ideals. Um, and so what would you say to those who might be a little hesitant to engage on that level? Because honestly, it's a little risky, right? So maybe that means that they have to inconvenience themselves by opening up their lives, their homes, their schedules, or maybe they fear that somehow this culture is going to negatively influence them or their families. What would you say to them? All right, well, first of all, man, you just, you just gave me a great idea for a new teaching series called Risky Business. And <laughs> I, 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 might, I might get Byron to take a picture of me wearing Ray-Ban glasses or something, you know, but I, I don't know that everyone would even get the reference, and, and, and they might even s suggest that I'm supporting a, a terrible movie. So anyway, maybe I won't call the title Risky Business, but sometimes people do assume, yes, that reaching out, I mean, even going door to door, right? I mean, that's like totally freaking people out these days. You, why in the world would you knock on the door of a total stranger and talk to them about God and the, and the things about Jesus? I mean, for some people, that is risky business, right? Two, two things. One, I think we need to remember the, what it is that we're actually like sharing with people and, and inviting them to share. In fact, the two brothers that I... Uh, uh, from Benton that, that I uh, was on my door-to-door -door evangelism team, when we were driving to our location, 
I told those guys, I said, you know, fellas, it's very easy to be nervous or apprehensive about walking through a neighborhood and talking to strangers about, about Jesus and about the gospel. And then I said, you know, there's, there's two things I always think about in my own life that are, that are kind of like contradistinction to sharing Jesus. One was when I was about, I don't know, 10 years old, 11 years old, I was in fourth grade. I was playing Little League Baseball, and they did a fundraising campaign where they had these little these little window decals for, with the Little League logo on it that you would put in the, the window of your car. And we were supposed to go into town and sell those for a dollar a piece. And each team got assigned different parts of the town. Well, my team, the fourth graders, we literally got assigned the neighborhood that was the worst part of town, like, quote-unquote, across the tracks. I mean, literally, I remember my brother went with us. He was probably... 13 years old, he had a five-inch lock blade in his pocket. He says, I got your back, man. I mean, this was the worst neighborhood in town, and I think we might have sold two stickers the whole time. I was scared to death. Second story is this, and a little little more somber. Back in 2000, I don't know, probably 2004 or so, when I was a fairly new chaplain in the Army, I had to go on a death notification visit. Uh, there was a, a staff sergeant who was killed over in Afghanistan. One of our paratroopers was killed. And so another officer and myself were tasked with going over to this, uh, this man's house and speaking to his, his young wife. And I will tell you, man, when I stood at that door knocking on the door, my heart was pounding so hard, I thought my chest was going to explode. I was so scared and so nervous because I was going to have to deliver the worst possible news this woman could ever hear. So now compare that to standing on someone's doorstep and I'm standing there ready to tell them about the greatest news this world has ever heard. I mean, it just changes everything when you think about what it is that we're sharing, right? But here's the other thing too. This is one of the reasons why I love the life group concept because it's not like we're asking people just to go out Lone Ranger, you know, and, and tackle the whole world all by themselves. I mean, we, we are encouraging our people to serve in these capacities along with others, right? Life group, of course, if, if we were to do something like one day just as a church next year, right? Well, we would certainly encourage life groups to serve together and to go out and do ministry together. Because again, when you have people to your left and your right, it changes everything. Absolutely. That's really good, and thank you for sharing that. But we are out of time for today, so uh, we're going to have to cut it off. But a great conversation, and looking forward to the rest of the series, Welcome to Babylon. Um, would encourage everybody to join us next week on all of our social media channels and crossgate.org. Thanks, thank you, Keith. Phil. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you for listening to the Welcome to Babylon podcast a ministry of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. To learn more, visit us on our website, crossgate.org, or on all of our social media channels.